0: some of the world's most extraordinary rocks, very, very rich in rare uh, earth elements, also rich in uranium and thorium, myobium, taxolone. Illumazic
1: is magic. Welcome to Polar Podcasts, where you'll hear stories from geologists who've spent their careers, their lives, exploring and studying the remarkable and remote geology of Greenland. Why did they become fascinated with Greenland? What were the problems and the discoveries that drove them? And what was it like working in these remote places where few people venture, even now? I'm Julie Hollis. In this episode, we hear from Brian Upton, Emeritus Professor at the University of Edinburgh, about starting out in South Greenland with the Geological Survey of Greenland in 1955, and what became a lifelong passion for researching and understanding the unique rare earth element rich rocks of the Garda Province, on which Brian would become a world expert, still publishing his research on their remarkable geology more than 60 years later.
0: Right, well I was born in nineteen thirty three. I've got an older sister about four years older than me and she was a great influence in my life because she taught me a hell of a lot about natural history of all sorts and first showed me fossils and stones. And I became interested in Iceland. And when I was eighteen I managed to get onto one of the British School's Exploring Society trips to central Iceland. I fell in love with the country and I didn't particularly like the people I was with, <laughs> but I determined to get back as quickly as I could with more congenial company. And when I got back to Oxford, I
1: met my professor. That is Professor Bill Wager.
0: Halfway down the stairs one day, he said, Brian, are you interested in working in the north? I said, Yes, well, you know, do ducks like for me. He said, Would you like to go to Greenland? I said, Yes. I'm going to digress for a moment to talk about my boss, Lawrence Wager, Bill Wager. He was a great climber. He held for a long time the record of the highest solo ascent of Everest, 28,000 feet without oxygen. He found Mallory's ice axe. He got involved in the British East Greenland Air Route expedition, 1931, and Britain had had two famous long-distance staging expeditions, Captain Scott and uh, then uh, Shackleton. The third longest, which is not known about, which was in 1932-33, putting a man up on top of the Greenland ice sheet at eleven, twelve thousand 12000 feet. Just an awful long manhole <laughs> involved in that. Uh, and it was he subsequently that found the Scare God intrusion.
1: The Skergard intrusion is a remarkable layered Gabbro intrusion in East Greenland, which is discussed by Emeritus Professor Kent Brooks in the next and later episodes.
0: He became a great enthusiast after a very exciting wartime career, which I won't go into, but uh, after the war he wanted to get back to Skergard. And he was well aware of M. V. Ussing's work on Ilomalsak, 1911.
1: The Illamorsak complex is a very unusual, layered, rare earth element-rich magmatic intrusion that forms part of the Garda province in South Greenland, which Brian would later spend much of his career researching. This is how Brian summarises the complex and unique geology of the rifts in the crust that generated the extremely unusual alkaline rocks of the Garda province.
0: We could think of these as uh, continental rifts, in some ways analogous, let's say, to the East African rift of um, Ethiopia and Kenya. And alkaline volcanoes erupted in connection with this uh, rifting event. Then about 140 million years, when nothing of any note took place, and then another load of alkaline rocks were emplaced, almost certainly with superficial volcanoes on them in conjunction with uh, a great deal of faulting. All of these alkaline rocks we divide into the older Garda and the younger Garda. The name Garda comes from the old Norse settlement in this area which had been uh, formed by Eric the Red. So we've got a northern rift and a southern rift that are parallel to each other. They have a lot in common. but The wonder on the axis of the mass of granite, the Yulianahoe batholith, has far more exotic compositions associated with it, and all the interesting mineralization and all of the complex geochemistry is concentrated in the Yangagada and the southern rift of the Yangagada. It was defined by splitting down the middle with the emplacement of magmas as composite dikes, which started off more or less gabbroic, but the later rocks in their central
1: part were uh, alkaline cyanides of one sort or another. A cyanite is like a granite, but with little or no quartz.
0: Followed by much more silicic alkaline complexes which cut across the giant dikes. One is the Tudorock central complex and the other one is referred to as the Narsac complex. And then, as the youngest event of any note in the Garda, we get the Ilamalzak complex. First of all, we get massive emplacement of a cyanitic rock and that was essentially crystalline when another influx of alkaline magma was intruded, this time distinctly more evolved
1: by which Brian means that the magmas were enriched in elements that do not easily fit into the crystal structures of minerals crystallising from the melt. Elements such as the alkali elements, sodium, potassium, and more unusual elements, such as the rare earth elements.
0: The organic selenite may have been superimposed by a volcano. We feel that the later one had a thick lid on it, probably the remains of the early volcano, and was... uh, crystallized thereafter under a very, very strong lid. As it did so, crystallization was at first largely from the base upwards until it reached the stage when the very low-density mineral sodalite was precipitating. Now, sodalite is able to float in the magma and it forms a layer on the top of it, a very peculiar rock, unique in the world, which is, is called by the original discoverer of it, N. B. Using, he called it a Nauiite. Nauiite is an extraordinary rock then, full of sodalite crystals which have floated up. Sodalite has a very high chlorine content. It's also an extremely sodic rock. If you like, you could consider it a rock extremely, just full of common table salt. It's an extreme, a rock extremely full of sodium chloride. The layer is of extraordinary thickness, It's at least 500 meters thick. Below this layer of accumulated sodalite crystals, later magmas were reacting with the lower part of the maweite. The belief is that this maweite could amount to something like a total volume of 60 cubic kilometers of this extraordinary sodium-chlorine-rich unique magmatic rock. Beneath this, the magma, which we believe was very, very fluorine-rich, very rich in fluoride ions, which would reduce the viscosity. So we can think of it as an extremely low viscosity, very, very runny magma, which underwent further crystallization. The crystals now were denser than the melt from which they separated, and now sank to the bottom to form a floor cumulate. So we've now got a floor crystal cumulate, rising upwards, trapping between it and the nauiite roof, a melt of persistently increasing concentration of all the rare elements. And they gave rise to some of the world's most extraordinary rocks and uh, very, very rich in uh, rare earth elements, also rich in uranium and thorium, niobium, tantalum and a whole host of other rare components. The rocks have very high sodium contents relative to the aluminium content. So instead of forming the usual sodium-aluminium silicates like feldspars, they have to form sodium-rich minerals with ferric-ion, forming the mineral Egerine, but thereafter with all sorts of rare elements like Zirconium forming the mineral uh, boudouard.
1: This is a rare earth element-rich mineral with a beautiful deep red colour,
0: and a whole host of others. These rocks with this excess of sodium over aluminium are called agpides. It's a name from one of the local Inuit localities. In some of the most extreme rocks, which have been Distinguishes hyperagpaites. The mineralogy is really weird and extreme, and contains high contents of uranium and thorium. These hyperagpaites constitute the largest magmatic concentration of thorium, I think, anywhere on Earth. The rocks I'm talking about are rocks called lugevrites, which have a very very odd mineralogy.
1: Or to summarise more simply why the Ilmorsa complex is made of rocks of such unusual composition.
0: If you've got a barrel full of apples and oranges and you keep out taking the apples, you concentrate the oranges. It's a fractional extraction. And if you've got a, a molten material, it could be anything you like, or any liquid, and you take out one component from it, you are going to concentrate everything else and... Why is Illamalzac extraordinary? Because fluorine is a wonderful polymer breaker. So a liquid with lots of fluoride ions in it, you can say it can be runny. And ionic migration, instead of being nanometers or millimeters, can become meters.
1: By which Brian means that with so much fluorine, the magma can very easily separate into different chemical components a process that is usually very slow and difficult in most magmas.
0: I can't imagine there's anywhere where it is so beautifully done. I don't think there has ever been, or ever will be, a concentration of fluorine ever again on this planet, I'm going to say in the solar system, had such a concentration of that one element. Okay, others, but particularly fluorine. Illumazek is magic.
1: And explaining why he regards these rocks as so precious...
0: Some of these are vesicular geodes in them.
1: Which means that the original magmas contained gas bubbles, which are now preserved as holes in the rock, that have been partly filled with crystals that grew into those holes.
0: The feldspars and quartzes and amphiboles and zircons, and there's nothing else in them. They're just crystals sticking in there. I think these things, when you break them open and look at them, and look at these quartz and feldspar crystals, you think, what have I done? I have just broken a priceless Ming vase. I'm looking at something which has not been open to the fresh air. 1,280 million years. I broke open a geode once on Illamarsak, and there's a little tinkling noise, and what have I done? There's little Egerine crystals, little Egerine prisms. i broken, they've fallen down. Those have been sitting there ever since they crystallised. Tutankhamun's tumor is not a far-fetched, Analogy, these things have just been sitting there waiting after one hell of a long time to be looked at.
1: But to get back to that meeting on the stairs in Oxford in the 1950s, when Brown was first offered the opportunity to visit Greenland and the Illamorsak complex by Professor Bill Wager.
0: And he said, would you like to work on Illamorsak? So and I said, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he had met Arnold Danish professor, Geology. Again, extraordinary war history with the Danish underground movement, which is largely based in the cellars under the Geological Museum
1: in Copenhagen.
0: Anyway, he and Wager got together through where they working in East Greenland and became friends. So Wager said, I will write to you. No Nugo no, and see if I could get you there. I'd love to get work on Illy Mauset. Wapi, yes. It went to the Danish uh, Science Committee and they said, mm-hmm. No. This was the height of the Cold War and they said, no, there's too much strategic importance in Ilymask. So would rather keep it for Danish, but would he like to work on Gonadal ika to the north of it, which is a nice carbonatite complex? Yeah. OK. It's a few tears, but it still sounded fun. No. Again, they thought it had strategic importance, so no. There's a mountain off to the west of that, we don't know anything about, called Kung Nat Fjell, which is granitic sensu latu. And they sent me a photograph of it, and I fell in love with it at the first sight. I didn't care if it was made of green cheese or concrete, <laughs> <laughs> And I did, and that is one of the happiest accidents of my life, being sent to that anonymous heap of rock out in the west. It was enormous fun.
1: I'm Julie Hollis, and you've been listening to Polar Podcasts. In the next episode, we hear from Emeritus Professor Kent Brooks about his 50-year career studying Greenland and his first field season in East Greenland in 1965.